What is concierge medicine? And is ACA the driving force behind the incredible growth of this medical practice model? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. Today's episode is brought to you by Code64, a software platform that powers the entire consulting process for your benefits agency. Combine your industry expertise with proprietary data and compliance tools to deliver cutting-edge strategies and proposals that your clients and prospects will love. Today, we're excited to be talking with Tom O'Connor. Tom is a physician in a rapidly growing practice model, and Tom was one of the pioneers in this area. So we're, we're happy to have a chance to chat with him a little bit about concierge medicine. I, I think it's something that you'll be hearing more about and which may be a conversation that you might want to have with some clients or clients might ask about. So with that, Tom, welcome to the Shift Shapers podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me so much, David. I appreciate you spending the time with our audience. Now, for most of us, we've known kids who've always wanted to be doctors from the day they were a little kid and their singular goal was to hit med school and to become a practicing physician. You're a second career doc. That's a little bit different career path, and it may have informed where you ended up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and uh, so thank you for that that great initial question. I mean, so many people end up to be doctors, and and the stories that uh, come along are are so exciting. So in my 20s, I I finished up at Syracuse University as a landscape architecture student. And like, like a good boy, you know, I did what my mom said, and she said, finish things, you start. So I did, and it, we were so, you were so young, you were trying so many things out, and uh, I did want to do that, you know, to finish that, that career, and at that time, very, very focused on that. But during that period and during that early part of my life, I was involved with exercise and the health sciences, you know, so I always uh, volunteered uh, in hospitals, and I ended up working in cardiac rehabs. So it was, it was really cardiovascular rehabilitation and fitness that brought me through it. And after a stint, after graduating from Syracuse uh, with my initial degree in landscape architecture, you know, uh, with a burning desire down deep in the heart, I, I uh, no pun intended, I, I followed my dream over the course of a few years, picked up a graduate degree uh, in physiology, exercise physiology, and then inevitably went back pre-med in my late 20s, just following my dream. And I think a lot of doctors... A lot of physicians are this day and age are second career physicians because getting to med school is tough. So it's an it's an early second career thing. But a lot of the the, the patients, uh, excuse me, the the students you'll see really come in through medical school. They have so much, so many great people to pick from. So they like that diversity. They like that bedside manner. So that's what I did. I, I ended up digging into it, and I think it was about I entered medical school at the age of technically thirty one or thirty two. Wow. Um, yep. Yep, and um, undergraduate grades weren't weren't A pluses. Uh, they weren't so bad, but because of that, and because of the pool dynamics, I think the application field at that time ratio numbers were like at New York Medical College, where I end up graduating from. They res- for a hundred seats, they received over twelve thousand applications. No, I'm not kidding. It's ve- it's very competitive. So why concierge medicine? Um, it, it was kind of a different path. 
Yeah, so as you're going through, you know, pre-med and medical school, you're thinking, what do I want to do? And some people, you know, some, some students and, and fledgling medical doctors and training and residency programs, they really know what they want to do. I want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. I want to be a dermatologist. You know, I want to be a pediatric expert, you know, a pediatrician. I wanted to do, I love relationships. I love continuity of care. I love really, you know, my patients. And with that, I love to figure out problems. So that led me into internal medicine. So I became an internist, and through the training program in 2002 through 2005, categorical internal medicine at University of Connecticut, midway through, I stumbled into realizing there is, I want to be a doc. I want to be a primary care doctor in the community. And I realized that the business, even in 2005, David, concierge was starting to boom then. If you look for the history of MDVIP, which is a company that is a franchise company that is probably the largest concierge type uh, franchise company in this country, booming, you know, you'll see they were starting around that time period, or even a year or two before. And I, I, I realized that. I said, I really want to provide my patients with the best care. I don't want to be a hospitalist and work only in a hospital. In fact, even 2005, you could see the death nail laid out. Supply-demand stuff was starting then. So you realize you either come out and you work in kind of an outpatient clinic. You know, there's still, there's still a lot of primary care independent guys around then. Now it's over with the ACOs, and there's another topic. But I realized even then there was a niche and there was a market for having your own personal physician that takes care of you takes care of the patient, including house calls. If they go to the hospital, I hospitalize them myself to respond to phone calls, emails, to really be. So how do you do it? I realized it's called the concierge model. I researched it. We did it. We're the, for my, myself and my ex-partner, Paul Gardino, we were the first physicians in the United States to do it directly out of residency de novo, which means we didn't have 4,000 patients and then we pare down. That's what's happening now. That's what's happening now. That's how it, that's that's you know the low hanging fruit. You send your your letter out to to your existing patients. Not an easy thing to do because obviously you upset a lot of people because it's change, and you have to lose and you have to let go a lot of people. But you'll keep you know a fraction of like for an example one tenth of your patients will stay if they stay and pay this retainer. No, that that's obviously insulting. It's devastating to initial. That's why so many people don't do it. So I did it with my partner from the beginning, it didn't upset anyone because I've always been concierge from day one. So question for you, that's a great definition and kind of background of what concierge medicine is all about. Now, we've had a couple of guests on the program where we've been speaking about direct pay primary care. How does, for our listeners to clarify the difference, how does a direct pay primary care practice or model differ from a concierge practice model? Very simple, very simple. Concierge model is classic in that I am a concierge doctor. I am in your network. I am in the insurance network. How do I get around that? Well, I have I have a retainer. A retainer is paid in my circumstance. Annual retainer is paid for services, member services that have in no way conflicts with my relationship and my contract with insurance companies, including Medicare. You understand that? It's, it's completely outside. So it's the retainer is placed in some circumstances into another company. But this day and age, and insurance companies understand this, we've been here, we, the state investigated us in 2006 and they said, okay, you're the first to do it. 
I think I think there was an, a, an MD VIP. Dr. Robert Ruxin was was running around that time, and he might have been doing a similar thing because I think he had our attorney from Boston at the same time. In 2005, there were only two of us. Now there's a hundred concierge doctors in the state of Connecticut, maybe more. So you're offering a basket of services or a group of services that are beyond, that are extra contractual from an insurance yes. standpoint, whereas a direct pay primary care practice would stay within the confines of what services are allowed within a traditional insurance contract? No, 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 no. Direct primary care is pretty new. Concierge have been around a lot longer. And my understanding of direct primary care is there's no relationship with insurance. The doctor's not using your insurance. That's the difference. I utilize your insurance for labs. I utilize your insurance for covered care. And these are these are not HMOs, really. These are all PPOs. So that's what I use your insurance and the way it's set to be. If you come to see me for an upper respiratory infection, technically, in the state of Connecticut, I have to bill you for that, and I have to take the required copay stated on your card. Interesting. That's That's so we know, all of us from our own personal experiences, know what a visit to the doctor's office looks like. What does your typical day look like? Being a concierge physician gives you kind of a, a different day and different insights and, and different concentrations, doesn't it, than what our regular MD that we're traditionally in our fee-for-service universe involved with? It's an incredible difference. And, I, and after 10, this is my 10th year of business as a concierge doctor. I can't believe it's been 10 years. And I'm out of my own now. I've pulled away from my partner and I'm doing, he has his practice and I have mine and things are incredible. So here's my day. And I will try to compare it to a standard doctor next door to in my facility that sees 40 people a day. Number one, I see six people per day. I see six people a day. I see maybe three or four in the office. I may do a house call and I may see someone in the hospital right then and there. Logistically, imagine how much time it takes. Now, I'm seeing six people, but I'm dealing with another 20 or 30 of my patients. So my limitation is, and the limitation of concierge and the number one amenity is, I take no more than 300 patients. The average doctor next to me that we're going to compare to has up to 4,000. It seems like these appear like Martian numbers. People can't believe them, but you indeed, you know they're true. Those are the numbers of the panels that doctors have. So my day is opening up in the morning. I will open up for, let's just pick this morning. I responded from 7.30 in the morning to 8.30, getting in the shower to three emails and one phone call. Patient wants to review a labs, has had a question. Another patient needed a refill. Uh, he said, basically, we're gonna talk to the, uh, my assistant in the office. I just had, I, I had to tweak an answer form real quick. Another patient was in the ER, dislocated an arm the night before. I'm following up on that. That's just getting in the shower. That's the access to doctors in the, in, out here, uh, regular doctors in the dock in the box and, and the walk-in clinics and, you know, they, they don't have. So I get to the office and I met a patient here and I actually, it's a sweetheart that I love taking care of. And I am the only doctor that he lets draw his blood. So it's the four-month review for his, his cholesterol and his, his uh, sugar levels and A1C and he uh, wants me to draw. So I draw this man's blood. So that was a 20, 30 minute uh, conversation. And then I responded to a bunch of um, medication refills and just ongoing projects. 
I see another patient, and so on. So the whole day runs like this, setting up doctors. So I have a patient that had uh, a Bell's palsy and I talked to her yesterday. I put a phone call to a neurologist. The neurologist called me back. I have, I have, I'm yet, after this phone call with our podcast, I'm yet to return that phone call. You see, I'm working behind the scenes for people. That's what it requires to care for people as an internist. It's not open the door, walk in, take care of una problem, cada dia, one problem a day, and then close the door, make the decision, give them a script, and set up a lab script or something or a requisition, close the door, put the chart down, and it's built, it's paid, it's done. That's 40 people a day. It, mine is complete continuity, and it's, it's basically a continuum of care. And it's really great. It's in, and it runs up until about 7 o'clock at night. Because remember, most of my patients are my sweethearts. They really are. I have forged incredible relationships, of course, with boundaries, professional boundaries, with these men and women. And this is what I went to medical school for. When they need me, I'm there. For those of us of a certain age, it sounds like what you've gone back to is what we used to know as the old family doctor relationship. That's what it is, David. It's very simple. It's, you know, it's so simple. And, and it's all predicated on one amenity. I take a fraction of the number of what a doctor in the community, the standard retail community at this walk-in clinic. And in the future, it's, I'm sure that's going to be one of your questions. It is only, I mean, I'm overloaded. They pay a retainer. They pay me to slow down. They pay for my attention. I mean, I'm a board-certified academic internist. They need to have access to my knowledge. What good is a doctor's knowledge if you don't have access to that physician? And now a word from our sponsor, Code64, the industry-leading software platform that powers the consulting process for your benefits agency. In this new era of benefits consulting, Competition, healthcare reform, and rising costs have all made the health insurance industry complicated. As the trusted advisor, do you find yourself behind a computer researching new regulations or reinventing presentations rather than meeting with clients? There is a better solution. It's the Benefits Consulting Cloud at Code 6.4. Begin by engaging new prospects with up-to-date industry insights or surveying employees for feedback on their benefits offerings. Upload census data to analyze thousands of criteria and uncover benchmarks against similar employers to see how your client's plan stacks up. Impress your clients with proprietary branded consulting materials to deliver a game plan unique to your agency and your client's needs. Maximize the efficiency of your agency and delight your clients by delivering the best advice in half the time with the Benefits Consulting Cloud at Code64. Without getting into you know too much specifics, because your numbers are your numbers, I think a lot of people have this notion when you say concierge, they conjure up a twenty or a thirty thousand dollar a year fee. We've all heard of some of those high level executive concierge practices, but day to day concierge stuff is is much more approachable for the average person, isn't it? So the average person that I take care of is certainly not a rich person. It's a person that has resources allocated to this and it's important to them. I obviously have some rich people, but my average patient here in Central Connecticut, if you saw who it was, yes, your jaw would drop. I mean, it's really a fallacy that we take care of rich. I mean, I have blue collar people that say, I want that service. It's important to me. 
it's all personalized. It's, it's how much is important. Uh, my number, so my, my opening membership fee for an individual is $2,750 a year, $2,750 a year. If patient wants to elect me to care for them in the hospital, that's another $1,000, okay? If it's a house call coordination where I have elderly people at home and they want me to take care of them at home exclusively, I have to get out there a couple times a year. We have to do a lot of paperwork. We have to do a lot of refills. It's a lot of work for the office. It's 3500 and that's it. I actually have an executive. A lot of people want to come in and just get an executive physical, which means they want to get my two or three hour expert history and physical exam, laboratory evaluation, and my recommendations for where they stand, mainly cardiovascular disease prevention. And that's called an executive physical. That's 1750. They can apply that to the full retainer for the year if they like to. So 80% of my patients annually stay with me. I lose 20%. Some of it, obviously, is they, they, they move on and some pass on and pass away because some people come to me over the age of you know, the upper 70s, 80s, even the 90s, and I do what I can, but they, they last and they stick around as we do the best we can. And then, unfortunately, I do have about 15 to 20% of attrition, which means uh, through the paying side that from year to year when I send out this has been 10 years, so I have the numbers. I send out the bill, the annual retainer in, for the month. You know, if this 14, 15 people will join, I'll send out these retainers. 20% will say, oh, God, Doc, I just can't stay on board. I can't afford it this year. But remember, 80% do. So it, it's people that are not going to leave. So that's a nice business number. Absolutely. But unfortunately, there is 10 or 15% that can't stay year to year because of financial. Well, I think every business has that. But um, since we're talking about numbers, and maybe it may sound crass to talk about return on investment or cost benefit when you're talking about medicine, but if folks are going to be paying this kind of a premium for the premium services that a concierge doctor provides, and a lot of our listeners have conversations with employers, some of them large, some of them midsize, some of them small. What does having this level of care available to you, do you have any stats on what that does to overall healthcare costs? Does it change claims costs? Does it bend the trend? They're, they're actually, if, if you look at some of the some of the trade, you know, websites for concierge, and I don't have them off, offhand because I'm so busy just kind of doing my own thing here, there, there is actually a data that it saves, obviously, sick days. It saves, it's common sense. But there is data there. there. There's some interesting data that, uh, you know, a concierge doctor does a history and physical exam. At the end of that history and physical exam, that doctor will alert and pick up about 30% of severe medical disease states that have been missed. Wow. Well, that's yeah. certainly that's certainly significant. Yeah. Two quick questions in the three or four minutes that we've got left, because I know they'll be of interest in large measure to our audience. First, if you can briefly what effect do you think the Affordable Care Act will have on, on concierge medicine? Well, it's a sensitive topic, so I have to be careful. And overall, the Affordable Care Act is here. I mean, the, the Americans put their foot forward or their hands forward, and they, made, they voted, and they said that we want this. We want everyone to have some form of coverage. So indeed, it, it is here, and it will, it will be here. So in this country, what we're going to see, it's happening. It's already happened after one year. I see it right now. We're going to have a two-tier system, or maybe a three-tier system. I've heard some executives uh, in, in the hospital systems to talk about confidentially, you know, that there will be a base tier for everyone. These will basically not be physicians. These will be over a physician's name, but they'll be cared for by mid-level practitioners, APRNs, and nurse practitioners, which I mean, it's better than they had before. 
Okay, that's the bottom tier, the base tier. And there'll be a middle tier where there will be a breakdown where there'll be physicians and also more and more mid-level practitioners caring for these numbers that are entering into the system. You have to remember that this was a move that was made without entering and adding any new physicians. I think there's one new school in the state of Connecticut that is starting up. And remember, that's going to take four years to get that going. It's going to take three or four more years for those students to come out and to go to residency. And that's, that's suggesting that those students are going to pick primary care. Most of those students don't pick primary care. They pick specializations. So we haven't, we're not, it's hard to know, it's too early to tell if it's going to make a dent in this primary care, you know, need in this deprivation, we, we say, in primary care. But what the ACA is doing for, for medicine is, and for sure, the top tier is my tier. It's America. And I've heard people relate as this, there's a relationship and there's an analogy. In America, we have education. We have public education and we have private education. For the first time in America, we're going to have public medicine, socialized medicine, in an American form of socialized medicine. We are Americans, so we have the option to go into a private track, and that's concierge medicine, and that's what I do. Interesting. Well, it certainly looks like um, from all aspects that the field of concierge medicine is just going to continue and grow. I wish we had a lot more time and, and perhaps we'll have you back at a, on another occasion to talk about kind of where the practice is going and whatnot. But I think we've given our listeners a really good primer on what concierge medicine is, how ACA has affected it. Tom O'Connor, um, doctor practicing in Connecticut. Tom, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our audience today. David, I hope it helps everyone. And thank you so much, David. Thanks. For more information about this episode or about any of our earlier episodes and to learn how to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode, go to our website, shiftshapersonline.com. While you're on the site, leave a comment and register to be part of the Shapers community. You'll be the first to learn about upcoming specials like exclusive webinars and content you can use to take your business to the next level. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode and remember, you have the power to shape the shifts in your business.